This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. More than a million and a half refugees have left Ukraine since late February, and a majority have come here to Poland. It has been another day of intense fighting in the streets of Kyiv and throughout Ukraine. President Zelensky is warning the world that Russia plans to intensify its attacks on civilian targets. And a third attempt at talks between the Russians and Ukrainians did not yield results. These developments are all being watched very closely by the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Kristina Kvin and her staff evacuated the embassy in Kyiv, and they've been working from Poland since the beginning of the war. Her temporary hub of operations is a hotel in the city of Zhezhuv, about an hour's drive from the border. That's where I sat down with her in a conference room this morning, and I asked how long Poland can keep receiving what the United Nations has called the fastest exodus of refugees since World War II. Well, Poland has done a very good job. First of all, they've been extremely generous in letting all Ukrainians over the border that are allowed to come. And they are putting them up in temporary shelters, but then quickly moving them on, either to friends and relatives who live in Europe or to families from all over Europe who have come and offered their homes to Ukrainian refugees. So, so far, the flow has been smooth. The refugees have been taken care of, and the Poles have done a very good job. Do you have a number in mind, a certain number of millions of people, at which point the system cannot support all of the needs and the demands? It's hard to say, but I would say that very large international resources are being brought to bear. Uh, international aid organizations are coming to Poland and other border countries to help. And I think that uh, with the support of the international organizations, they will continue to be able to absorb Ukrainian refugees. When you go to the train station and you see people coming off these trains, it is striking that the overwhelming majority of them are women with children. I've covered many different refugee crises, and I've never seen that degree of a gender imbalance. How does that affect the needs and the response that the international community has to mount? Well, I would say, uh, I mean, the reason that you're seeing so many women and children is because males age 18 to 60 are not permitted to leave Ukraine unless they have certain exemptions. So it's mostly mothers and their children that are coming out. It does have some impacts in terms of the needs. Obviously, children have special needs that go beyond what adults have, and it's very important that the children's needs are met so that they stay healthy and safe. So far, as I said, the polls have been doing a good job. And the, I would say Europeans all over Europe, not just in Poland, have really stepped up and are helping in many different ways, plus the international aid organizations. I think all those together are, are so far being successful in taking care of those who are coming across the border. Over the weekend, Israel's prime minister tried to mediate talks between the leaders of Russia and Ukraine. There have been negotiations in Belarus. Do you believe this can lead to anything productive? I mean, I, I know before Russia invaded, we were talking about whether there was any diplomatic path to avoid this. Do you see any diplomatic path out of this? That depends on President Putin. Which is what you said a month ago before Putin invaded Ukraine. That, that has, yeah, the, the answer hasn't changed. Uh, and it really is up to President Putin. He needs to sit down and have a real discussion about this and be willing to have a diplomatic solution and to stop the killing. But another way of interpreting that answer is Russia has all the power here. 
Well, Russia has some of the power here. We have, not just us, but the entire uh, Western world has imposed serious sanctions on Russia. And their economy is going down quickly. The sanctions have had a very quick effect, and the Russian ruble is plummeting, the Russian stock market is plummeting, uh, Russian goods are becoming more difficult to get, and so uh, Russia is feeling the, the heat here. Also, we continue to flow goods and weapons to Ukraine to help fight Russia, and so far they have used those to very good effect and are having more success, I think, than we anticipated, as we said earlier. As we were driving here to meet you, we saw convoys of military vehicles, camouflaged troops. Um, Do you fear that this conflict could expand beyond Ukraine? What are the red lines that will prevent that from happening? Well, President Biden has made clear that NATO borders are sacrosanct. So if Russia tries to go anywhere within the NATO border, then NATO will uh, come to the defense of, of its members. Are there conversations happening about the possibility that Putin might not respect NATO borders? Well, NATO is full of planners. They plan all the time. Uh, I'm sure there have been many plans on the shelf for a long time, uh, and, I, and I assume that they are uh, reviewing those. But NATO is a very well-organized group, It has a very strong structure, and we have sent extra troops to Poland and other uh, NATO allies that border Ukraine to make sure that they have the the security they need. And we will, as I said, and, and as President Biden has said, if Russia takes one step, one inch into uh, NATO territory, NATO will be prepared to respond. Just to be very crude and blunt, I have talked to Americans who have said, is this going to lead to World War III? which is an extreme way of phrasing a question that I think in some form or another is on a lot of people's minds. How do you answer that question? We're we're trying everything we can to make sure it doesn't lead to World War III, but ultimately, again, that depends on the actions of President Putin. Can I ask about your own experience? Because you arrived at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine in 2019, a a time of upheaval, but not a time of war. You are the chargé d'affaires, the acting U.S. ambassador, not Senate confirmed. And now you are thrust into the middle of this international conflict. You were the acting ambassador at a time of war. This is something you never expected. And I I wonder how you are feeling being at the center of it right now. It's a big responsibility. I'm doing my very best uh, to take care of the team and also to help Ukraine. I'm learning a lot because I I haven't served in a war zone before. Uh, And fortunately, I have a fabulous team that is behind me. A lot of them have worked in uh, Afghanistan or Iraq, and so they do have uh, experience that is applicable here. And together, we're incredibly dedicated, we're incredibly motivated, and we really want to do our best to help Ukraine. I'm sure there are a lot of things that keep you up at night. What's at the top of the list right now? (laughs) I worry about my friends and about uh, the Ukrainian people. I get up every morning with a pit in my stomach, uh, worried about what has happened overnight, uh, what city Russia might have bombed, who Russia might be killing. And so so that's my main concern, is, is the safety and security of the Ukrainian people and my friends in Ukraine. Do you have friends who are still in the country who have not left? Oh, many, many, yeah. I mean, the Ukrainians are not leaving. Uh, they're really fighting. And uh, I'm, of course, I've known, I've been in Ukraine for two and a half years, so I know the government uh, very well. Many of them I do consider 
consider friends, not just contacts, and uh, I'm in touch with them constantly, but I, of course, worry for their safety. Acting U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Christina Kavin, thank you for meeting with us here in Poland near the border. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts.